0: to get right into the teaching of the Bible study tonight. This is the ninth lesson. We're going to be dealing with the last days. This lesson and one more lesson. We'll finish this series out. Amen. Let's start out with the last days concerning the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We know that on the day of Pentecost there was a former rain. You can see that on the chart right here amen the former reign, outpouring of God's spirit on the day of Pentecost we found out around 325 AD or so last week we found out that the church incorporated some false doctrine it brought in the doctrine of the Trinity it made it official I should say the doctrine of the Trinity was already around around 150 through Tertullian baptism in the titles had already started in 130 and 140 AD but 325 AD is when Constantine got together and they had the Council of Nicaea And they made officially the doctrine of the baptism and the titles official church doctrine for the Catholic Church Also, they established the fact that there were two persons they believed and taught two persons in the Godhead Jesus the Son and the Father being the Spirit two separate persons About 381 AD they added the Holy Ghost. They didn't want to leave him out So they added him to their, their doctrine and made it official Trinitarian doctrine. But isn't it amazing that it wasn't until the fourth century that the Trinity, as is taught today, became a doctrine in the church. Now we talked about Catholicism and its roots to Babylonian, Baal worship of the Old Testament. As a result of that, the church then fell into the Dark Ages. from From 325 A.D. all the way to 1500, 1517. That's a long time to be in the dark. But I need to share this with you that even in the dark ages from 325 A.D. to 1517 A.D. There was still a remnant of people who have always believed this apostolic message of the oneness of God. Being filled with the Holy Ghost and baptism in Jesus name. So don't think that this is something that's brand new that has come around. It has always been... Even in the dark ages, it was still around because God always has truth and He always has witness in the earth. Nonetheless, the church as a whole fell into the dark ages. Okay. Now, what God did then, around 1517, He's going to take the church back to what it was originally. The prototype. Say the prototype. The early church is the pattern. Now, God said this. He said He would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That happened on the day of Pentecost. He's still pouring out His Spirit in the last days. And there is a latter rain outpouring of the Spirit. Now, latter rain is a real Bible term. But we talked a little bit about Sunday morning. Latter rain became a movement that got off into some strange fire. And I'm not going to really get into that tonight. But anyway, there's going to be a latter rain outpouring of the Holy Ghost, which we're a part of today. Do y'all believe that? now how is god leading us back to the early church pattern well around 1517 after coming through the dark ages a man by the name of martin luther who by the way was an uh, uh, an opponent of the oneness of god message don't forget that he literally fought it okay he wasn't just against his teaching he fought it but having said that Martin Luther is going to step out of at least Catholicism. And what he does, October the 31st, 1517 AD, he goes over to Wittenberg, Germany, and he places 95 theses on the door there. And he was basically dealing with indulgences of the Catholic Church. Keeping in mind that Martin Luther was a Catholic monk. Okay? but he saw the error in the teaching of Catholicism and that teaching was that you can be saved by good works. And he read in the scripture how the Bible says the just shall live by faith. So justification by faith is what Martin Luther believed. So he took his 95 theses and he nailed it on that door in 1517 in Wittenberg, Germany October the 31st debating or challenging the doctrine of the Catholic Church in the area of indulgences. How many of y'all know what indulgences are? Okay. The Catholic Church sold indulgences. It's really what it sounds like. Indulgences were payment for sin or for the punishment of sin that you had committed. If you committed a sin and you didn't want punishment for it, then you go pay the Catholic Church a certain amount of money And they would indulge you in that sin. You would not be punished for that sin. So you could do that even in life. You didn't have to, you know, pay the church indulgences to get somebody only out of purgatory. You could pay that in life. So if I sinned, all I got to do is go to the church and give them some money. And they would say, okay, the punishment for that sin is overlooked because you paid money. And that's what an indulgence was. Also, they sold indulgences to family members of departed loved ones. And these indulgences were supposed to get them out of a place of purification called purgatory. So that now, by the way, everybody, if you're a Catholic, goes to purgatory when you die. Everybody doesn't matter who you are, you everybody goes to purgatory, okay? And what determines how long you're there, it, it, it depends on how long you need to be purified. And so in order to get you out earlier, they would go pay money. The relatives of family members who have died would go and pay money to the church, and the church would say, okay, now they can be released from this place of purification and purging called purgatory, limbo, you know. And so Martin Luther saw that that was completely an error and at least he had enough guts to stand up against that. And he goes and nails that thesis on the door, and he, you know, leaves the Catholic Church, all right? The problem with that, not with what he did, but with Martin Luther's teaching, you're, you're looking at an ex-Lutheran tonight, hallelujah. So I know a little bit about the man. The problem with his teaching was he still held on to the basic preaching and teaching of Catholicism he continued to hold on to the Trinitarian doctrine he continued to baptize in the titles of the Father Son and Holy Ghost and he continued to baptize infants okay so he came out of Catholicism but he still embraced a lot of their teaching now even even some of you one of this Pentecostal people have a problem with me talking about these other religions, but I'm just giving you the truth. <laughs> now, if you only knew how, how much Luther fought the oneness doctrine, you know, you would understand how important it is for me to teach you these things. But at least he came out of Catholicism. Right? There are some other men... Luther. There's another man by the name of Calvin. Now, keeping in mind, these men are in Europe. Okay. Another man by the name of Calvin started a Presbyterian work. Y'all heard of the Presbyterian Church. John Calvin was its founder. Now, what he taught was okay. We've got justific- justification by faith. We've got the teaching against indulgences through Lutheran, through Luther. But they didn't have, they didn't continue on into all the truth, is my point. So another man rises up in Europe, John Calvin. He starts the Presbyterian movement, and he start, they start taking the Lord's Supper again. Not as a sacrifice, but as a memorial. Okay? John Calvin. But John Calvin also fought the oneness movement in fact he even stood up and gave his voice to consent the death of a oneness believer so these men you know they had part truth but you know they fought the oneness and even john calvin even gave his voice and consent to put a oneness man to death so we're talking about some serious stuff here but they're moving gradually back at least you know the justification by faith at least the lord's Supper's is being taken Okay, Lutheran John Calvin, still a part of Europe. Another man by the name of uh, King Louis 8th y'all heard of King Louis Eighth? He got excommunicated by the Catholic Church. So, because he got excommunicated by the Catholic Church, that he started a church called the Anglican Church, or the Church of England, of which he was the head over that. So basically, are y'all still there? Amen basically then we have another man by the name of wesley who comes along john wesley is a man who was the founder of what we know as the methodist church now the reason why this church was called the methodist church john wesley's church is because they believed in holiness and they preached holiness and they preached to true conversion in fact in john wesley's day in europe There was powerful revivals that took place under John Wesley's ministry so that they would get together and they would, literally, it's written in books, they would fall into trances under the power of the Holy Ghost and they would speak in tongues. I'm talking about the Methodists speaking in tongues, filled with the Holy Ghost, falling into trances and believed in the holiness message. In fact, if you read... Some things about the Methodist church, you'll find out that the Methodist movement at times were likened to football games. It was said that if you were to go to one of their meetings of old, back in the days of John Wesley, that it was so powerful that the ladies would shout their hair down. And that when somebody would come to conversion and be saved, it sounded like a football game in there. As they made it through to salvation, it sounded like somebody who scored a touchdown. And that's the way they likened the movement of the Methodist church. Amen. If you were to question somebody today in the Methodist movement, they would tell you that they no longer experience that, nor do they require their members to experience The baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, or holiness teaching. So watch. Powerful revivals can take place within different groups. But those groups can move away from God. And that's what happened to John Wesley's movement. They were holiness people, man. They looked like oneness Pentecostal people for a long time. But again, the leaders today are quick to add, we no longer have those type of things happening in our churches today which is very sad. Amen. Are y'all okay up there? Powerful revivalists though. They, they shook up their, their world. Amen. Now, <clears throat> there was a man by the name of, and he's not up here, but there's a, a man by the name of John Smith who separated from these movements and began to see that God teaches that we are to be completely immersed in water baptism. That at up to this point they were still sprinkling, but he saw that God says that we need to be submerged or baptized, and so he he branched off and got into a what's called the separatist movement, and they started baptizing people by immersion, and so they called their church the Baptist Church, right? And this is all I'm talking about still happening over in Europe, okay. Now, and so we've covered about from 1517 to about the 1700s at this point. We're talking about the West End revivals, etc. Are y'all still okay out there? Praise God. God's good, isn't He? What God is doing is He's slowly using these people to step by step go back to the original church. A lot of this has happened in Europe. In America, in the 19th century, Peter, um, a man by the name of Peter Cartwright, powerful revivalist. Moody, D.L. Moody, powerful evangelist. Finney, George Finney, powerful evangelist. In fact, I believe George Finney was uh, oneness in his, his understanding, or at least he believed in speaking in tongues. I'm not going to get into his doctrine. I've got one of his, actual, one of his books in my library. But, but these men, D.L. Moody, Finney, and Peter Cartwright, were powerful evangelists in America. So much so that many of the people who heard them preach, I believe it's D.L. Moody it said that about D.L. Moody, he would get to preaching, and the power of God come on him, and he'd start speaking in tongues. And the, peop- the man who was recording his message had to lay down his pen, because he had no idea what the man was saying he just come under the the power of the Holy Ghost. A lot of these men, you know, they didn't have all the truth. They didn't even know what they had, some of them. But they had a very powerful desire to see revival come into America, not just into Europe. In fact, I can't remember exactly uh, who it was. But there was one man who walked into a, a party one night. And everybody was dancing. This is not in your manual, by the way. Up to this point, everything I've shared pretty much is in the manual. But he walked into this party one night. And they were all dancing and having a good old time. And he walked in that place. And a young woman walked up to him and grabbed him by the hand and said, Will you dance with me? As soon as she grabbed a hold of that man's hands, she went down to her knees. And before it was all over... That man stood up. I think he was Cartwright. Stood up and preached in that place, and a revival broke out right there in the dance hall. Woo! That's awesome. But these these men were powerful, powerful revivalists in their day. Many of them didn't have all the truth, but man, they walked in what they knew. They walked in what they understood they believed what they knew and they lived it so much so that God would honor them even where they were they didn't play games with God man you know you're walking with God you walk up to somebody and they want to dance with you and all of a sudden as soon as they grab a hold of your hands they go to their knees and start repenting you talk about some conviction convicting power of the Holy Ghost on that man's life that's powerful makes me want to pray more and walk closer to God because, you know, I could be hanging around people that don't even know I'm a Christian. Much less walking into a dance hall and a revival breaks out. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But that's not all you know that God wanted to do. <clears throat> so, in the latter 1800s, a group of Bible study young people and their instructors were in Topeka, Kansas. And they came across in the book of Acts how that the early church got the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And they said, if they got it then, we believe we can get it now. Amen? That's, that's in the year 1900. And so they went on a prayer and fasting time of 21 days 21 days of seeking god for the outpouring of the holy ghost speaking in other tongues and at the end of 21 days just before or actually the first day of the first of the new year 1901 one of those students began to speak in tongues as the holy ghost came on them After 21 days of prayer and fasting, God poured out His Spirit on that young lady. Hallelujah. And as a result of that, it went from her to each, it started just going throughout that place. And one after another of those young Bible students got filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. Woo, yeah. That's awesome. It started being heard all over the United States of America that this was taking place. It moved from Topeka, Kansas. It moved over to Joppa, Missouri. It went from Joppa, Missouri to Houston, Texas. It went from Houston, Texas to California and a place called Azusa Street in 1906. 1906, they called for a black minister named Seymour from Houston, Texas who had been around this outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Did, uh, Did you follow my progression? Topeka, Kansas, then Missouri, then Houston, then California. Okay, so he was there in Houston when it hit Houston. And so they called for this man Seymour from Houston, Texas to go to California and, and share the experience that he had seen with the people in California. What's awesome about it, though, is this he didn't even have the Holy Ghost when he went. He had seen it happen to others. But he himself did not have the experience. And he went over to California though. And he began preaching about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Speaking with other tongues. He knew it was real. He just didn't have it yet. He went to these churches and he tried to, tried to share what he, he saw happening there. And they put him out of the churches. They didn't believe him. They just put him out. So he... And a few other black people and white people joined together in a stable on Azusa Street. In a little livery stable. It was a little white house. And Brother Seymour, hallelujah, and his little group, the Holy Ghost came in that Azusa Street house there. And they started speaking in other tongues as a Spirit gave the utterance. It was such a powerful move of God's Spirit in that revival in Azusa Street that it went on and on and on. If I remember correctly, it went on for three years. Every night, every day, a three-year revival. An outpouring of God's Spirit in California. So that before it was all over, there were people from the British Isles who went to California to see what was going on. People from Europe came from Europe. The missionaries off the mission field came off the mission field because they even heard about the powerful outpouring of God's Spirit in California. Give God some praise. I've read accounts in church history that the babies, when the Spirit of God was moving, that the babies would begin to sway under the power of the Holy Ghost. Woo. Sounds just like uh, the former rain when the Holy Ghost got poured out on the day of Pentecost. Everybody that was around them thought they were drunk. Which means I assure you that when the Holy Ghost got poured out, they weren't doing this. I assure you they weren't just sitting there when the Holy Ghost got poured out. i tell you what they were doing. They were going. Woo. So, you know, you, some of us just need to get a little intoxicated on the Holy Ghost. Because they for sure are not going to think you're drunk if you're like this. There had to be some kind of movement that that caused them to point their finger at them and say, these people are full of new wine. They were acting like they were drunk. And so even the babies were swaying under the power of God. Can I tell you something today if you feel like sometimes giving up can I tell you what the answer is is you just you just need to get drunk on the Holy Ghost you've been dry too long you haven't been filled long spent too long since you just got absolutely drunk out of your mind in the Holy Ghost power if you feel like giving up you haven't been drunk lately anyway I I think I could preach on that one hallelujah because I have experienced it and I'm looking at some people in this house who have experienced it and I'm a part of a group of people who will not quench the spirit who will not hold it back but will let God have his way in their lives That's why we really know we've had church where people, especially guests, come in here and they say, those people are drunk. If they come in here and all they say, those people, they're just sober. They don't have nothing. They don't have anything. I've been to church. They, you know, they act like everybody else. But I guarantee they come to a place where the Spirit of God is, they'll leave that place and say, those people are drunk, man. I've never seen anybody act like that. Hallelujah. So God's bringing the church back to what it was originally. 1906 is that Azusa revival is when it all started. But about 10 years later, as these people were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to recognize some truth in the Bible that wasn't being preached. They had the Holy Ghost, but they didn't really get in and examine The doctrines that were being preached in the church. Are you with me? So they kept on baptizing in the titles of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And they kept preaching the doctrine of the Trinity. Until some of those Holy Ghost-filled people began to see in the Word of God that when you got baptized, it was supposed to be in the name of Jesus and not in the titles. And not only did they get the revelation of Jesus' name baptism around 1916, but they also got the revelation of the oneness of God message around 1916. But a lot of those other people, you know, they got the Holy Ghost and they they didn't want to really get into it and really examine what they believed. And for the sake of division, they kept on preaching the same old message. I'm not talking about the ones who got a revelation of the oneness of God and Jesus name baptisms. I'm talking about some of those that that you know that were Holy Ghost filled, and so these Jesus name one God people started springing up and started trying to preach it to them. You know, hey, there, there's one God. There's no such thing as a Trinity. When we're to be bat- we're to be baptized in Jesus name, not in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And because all of them would not separate from their Catholic doctrine, then these oneness Jesus' name people had to separate themselves and there was a division over it and they had to get together and worship together and preach that message because they knew that it was the truth. And so finally by 1916, this church who was in the dark ages at one time, step by step by step, God brought it out and brought it back to what it was in the early church days with the same doctrine. So that there is a church today in the world that preaches the same thing that the apostles preached and experienced the same experience that they experienced. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. See, I thank God for this truth. I thank God for the truth that they have and for that what they have. Thank God for what Trinitarian Pentecostals have experienced. But let me tell you something, you've got to go to the Word of God and you must examine what you believe to see if it's in the Bible. You can't say, well, just for the sake of unity, we'll just keep preaching the same thing. You've got to stand up with the Word of God and declare the truth. And so there's all kinds of people today in the earth who call themselves different denominational names. There's Baptists who are Jesus' name. There are Baptists who are one God, Jesus' name. They still call themselves Baptists, but they still preach what I preach and what you believe. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. Yeah, God's awesome, isn't He? So we see God's bringing it back into me. That's a sign that we're in the last days. There's a latter rain outpouring of God's Spirit taking place right now. Now, if they had that kind of revival in the early 1900s, can I tell you something? God's not backing up. And if somebody who doesn't have all the truth but will walk in everything he knows with total conviction and love God that way, when he walks into a dance hall, somebody falls down and repents and the whole dance hall turns into a revival church setting. I got news for you today. I believe I'm looking at some people tonight that are not going to settle for anything less than the supernatural, miraculous bringing in of God's harvest in this last day. I believe I'm looking at men and women who are going to be radical for God. Who are going to pray and fast until the convicting power of God falls upon their friends and their neighbors and their family members. I'm preaching to a church tonight that's hungry. I'm preaching to a church tonight that's not just going to come and sit on a pew somewhere and say, I'm drunk. There's going to be visible signs and a visible manifestation that you've really got what they got. Give God praise. Well, isn't that exciting? Give God a hand clap praise. You're a part of a group of people who can say they fit the pattern. I'm looking at classical, classical Pentecostals. I'm not looking. Now, Pentecost is not a denomination. I'm looking at tonight. You are classical Pentecostals. That means you do it just like they do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah and it's the real thing the truth we preach is the truth the truth we preach is real and i'm glad tonight to be a part of classical pentecostal movement but i believe that god is not just gonna let us keep it i believe he's gonna move in all kinds of religious systems and all kinds of churches and i believe that god's going to get a revelation of this truth to baptist preachers to trinitarian pentecostal preachers don't be surprised who you hear about coming to this truth because god wants everybody to come into this truth and i got news for you i'm not just camping on that i believe that god's got so much more for us give god some praise We're part of the last days, church. Amen. You can be seated. In the name of the Lord. Let's look at some of the signs of his coming. We thank you all for helping me tonight. No, I'm not doing that. I'm leaving my coat on. I told myself before church, I'm leaving my coat on. I'm to be dignified. Praise the Lord! How many of y'all are excited about Jesus tonight? The Lord talked about some signs of His coming. <coughs> Let's go to uh, Matthew twenty-four. Let's, yeah, Matthew twenty-four. <coughs> Amen. Thank you tonight for helping me. Because you don't realize when I teach search for truth, I get scared out of my mind. I don't know what it is. I can preach. I can get up and preach. And you know, I always come in the pulpit with a little bit of apprehension because I'm expecting God. There's always an expectation. But I want you to know the enemy don't like what I'm teaching you. (laughs) He didn't want me to teach this to you on Wednesday night many weeks ago. And he wanted to use some of you to sit down on it and do this ho-hum thing. But you see, God told me this. He said, if they won't show up at 5.30 or 5 o'clock, whenever it was, he said, then they'll show up on Wednesday night. And he said, I want them to hear this, whether they want to hear it, or whether they like it or not. The enemy... Has not wanted me to teach these lessons to you but guess what it don't matter what he wants I said it doesn't matter what he wants and so every time I sit up here to teach this man I said brother Dan you pray for me tonight man I'm scared to death but there's an anointing in this place I'm not as scared of you. I'm not as scared as if, if a scared's the a word. I'm not as scared of you or as scared of the devil. But I'm afraid that I'm not going to do it like it should be done. That I'm not going to give it justice. It's an awesome, awesome series of truth. Matthew 24, let's go there. Jesus talks about the signs of his coming. The disciples get with the Lord and they ask him three questions. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? Those three things. When is the temple going to be destroyed? Are you with me? First question, because that's what he was talking about before. What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? Your Bible may say the end of the world. Jesus begins to talk about various things. And let's just go to one, Matthew 24, verse 10. Hallelujah. Y'all all right out there? God's good. Hallelujah. We're going to start over here. We're going to look at some signs. Men's hearts are are failing them for fear of things to come. Now look at that in Luke 21 in just a moment. Let's look at Matthew 24. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Right? We're living in an age right now never has it been like this where people are so easily hurt their feelings are so easily hurt and they are so easily offended. Never in history has it been like this. People are easily offended and easily hurt. So the Bible talks about that. That one of the signs of the last days is that many will be offended. You understand that? Give God some praise. <laughs> Amen. Now let's go over to Luke 21. Connecting that, Luke 21 and 24 praise the lord. 25 Luke 21:25 And there shall be signs in the heavens and in the earth and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress say distress. Distress means oppression. It means pressure. How many of you know there's a lot of pressure on right now? How many of you know there's a lot of oppression right now? How many of you know there's a lot of depression right now? That's one of the signs of the times. There shall be signs in the sun, and the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The word perplexity means with bewilderment. People are going to be stressed out. They're going to be oppressed. They're going to be depressed. They're going to be offended. Are you here? They are going to be bewildered. Walking around. Bewilderment. Worldwide. Right? Praise the Lord. Verse 26. The stress of nature with perplexity, The sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them. They're going to have a heart attack, heart attacks because of the oppression and the stress and the bewilderment and the frustration is going to be worldwide. Don't shut me out. Look up here at me. It's going to be a worldwide frustration, a worldwide pressure, a worldwide bewilderment, a worldwide pressure we're living in it now psychiatrists are being bombarded by people looking for help looking for answers they're trying to help so many people that the psychiatrists themselves are having Nervous breakdowns. They are. The psychiatrists are having ner- nervous breakdowns, and the world is going through a psychological breakdown. Even people in the church are, be- are affected by this pres- oppression, this distress, this depression, this bewilderment, this frustration, this heaviness that's in the earth, this psychological breakdown is even affecting the church of the living God. It is a sign of the last days. Men's hearts failing them for fear of those things that are coming upon the earth. See, if we're not careful, church, that can happen to us. And it is happening. Are you with me? We got, we, I say, we, we got to learn to walk with God. People are having breakdowns right now because they don't know how ends are going to meet. They don't know how to handle life. They don't know how to deal with their problems. They don't know how to deal with their troubles. And they're under the gun and their psychological breakdowns. Worldwide frustration. The Lord said that's a sign of the last days. People are having heart attacks not just because they've got cholesterol in their veins. Or homocysteine levels are out of of whack. They are having heart attacks because of fear and oppression and just, just the stress of life. And the frustration of life is bringing on this heart attacks so that's a sign of the last days amen are y'all okay out there and and so there's a heart there's a problem here the lord said was going to come now i want to go back to 24 again and look at verse 10 y'all didn't want me to stay on that one did you (laughs) you thought you thought we were out of the woods didn't you And then shall many be offended. The Bible talks about it being the spirit of offense. The spirit of offense that gets a hold of a person. They get an attitude. They get offended. They get hurt very easily. People walking around with their their feelings on their shoulders. That's a psychological problem. Are you with me tonight? Woo! They get offended at God. They get offended at His Word. Many shall be offended and shall, look at this, betray one another. So that family members are going to betray family members. Church members are going to betray church members. People in the world are going to betray you. You can't walk around and just put all your confidence in all the people in the world. You put your confidence in everybody and act like, you know, man, these are just wonderful people. Yeah, I got news for you. They'll catch your throat as soon as you turn your back on them. You've got to walk circumspectly in this world. You've got to keep your guard up. Because the devil wants to kill every one of us. And he wants to use his troops to do it. So you've got to be on, we've got to be on the guard at all times. Are y'all okay up there? Betrayal is going to be something that's going to be rampant. And to me, that is one of the most frightening signs of the last days is betrayal. Because betrayal comes from people you don't expect it to come from. Whew, that's heavy. But the Lord said that was going to happen. And a lot of it is because people get offended, then they betray. And they think that because they were offended, that gives them grounds to betray. But God said that's a sign of an apostate age. So I've got to be sure, I've got to walk carefully with the Lord that I don't get easily offended, but always be on the guard, be, walk circumspectly, because there's always somebody out there that's going to take advantage of you. And I feel that in my spirit, church, as a pastor, as a shepherd over sheep, to tell you, because you are precious sheep and you don't have really, uh, you know, sometimes the understanding that there's people that would want to take you down if they could and would want to do you harm if they could and betray you if they could. You've got to keep your guard up. They'll take advantage of you. Give God some praise. So, he's, so if you get betrayed, just say, that's a sign of the times. <sighs> and shall also hate one another. Hatred. Hatred on the rampage, man. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Okay, so that's one of the signs. Let me go on. I'll be here all night. Wars. One of them is wars and rumors. Rumors. Well, let me make sure here. I want to make sure I'm covering what I want to cover. Now, let's keep reading Matthew 24. That's not all I want to cover. Okay. Matthew 24, verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So we got psychological problems in the last days. And we've also got pseudo False prophets. False prophets. So that most churches you would go to, when you go to them, this is what you're going to hear. You're going to hear a message on the politics of the day. You're going to hear a message on art or literature. Excuse me. Don't worry. Everything's okay. It just electrocuted me. That's all. You hear what I'm saying? Psychology, art, literature, politics, philosophy is what most churches are giving out today. They are. They are bringing humanism. They are preaching messages that appeal to men's flesh. Messages that appeal to men's ego. What? Come on. Tell me what? I want to hear. Scratch me behind the ear. They are false prophets. And most of them are doing it in the name of love. But it is not biblical love. It is false. I'm going to give you an example real quick. Okay? And because of that, people go to these kinds of churches, and then they go from one church to another church to another church because they're sick and tired of hearing about literature and hearing about, come on, politics and sick and tired of hearing about art and sick and tired of hearing about psychology sick and tired of hearing humanism they want to hear the word of god so they go from one place to the other place pretty soon they just give up but god speaks to the true church he says if you're part of a true church forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is so much more so as you see that day approaching he said, as you get closer to the coming of the Lord, he said, you need to increase your attendance to the house of true worship. Don't decrease it. So much more so as you see that day approaching. or take you out of a church service. He will not do that. He won't say, Miss Church, to do this. He'll say, go to church, and then I'll take care of everything else. So, most many times we think we've heard from God on something. But I'm assuring you today, His word is this. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is so much more so as you see that day approaching. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 but a lot of people just throw up their hands because they've been to all these other ones and cannot find a place but if you found a place that's preaching the truth you better pray pray for it you better get behind it And you for sure better not be missing a lot of church. Because what will happen to you is you'll come under spiritual oppression. You'll come under spiritual attack. And don't understand why that is. It's because you're not under a proper covering that you can hear the word of God that will drive those demons back. And you will never make it. Never make it without a church. It's impossible. God has not ordained it that way. going back to that the, this other stuff that goes on in pulpit's day in the name of love and I believe in love come on I wouldn't even be here tonight if I didn't believe in love I wouldn't tell you the truth if I didn't believe in love are you understanding what I'm saying but there's some things that God hates God doesn't love everything he said the doctrine of the decollegative is which thing I hate there's certain things that God hates amen He hates anything that will destroy what he loves. I said God hates anything that will destroy what he loves. And there's a lot of people who are bringing psychology and all this stuff in the name of love. But it's humanistic love. It's self-love. It's it's not God's kind of love. It's self-love. I'm going to give you an example. I was talking to a... A law enforcement agent uh, I'm not going to tell you when but I was talking to him and I was really getting into some good conversation and uh, I told him I said you know he don't know me from Adam but I told him I said I'm going to tell you something I just felt like impressed to tell him I, I said you're not looking at some passive spineless pastor Preach the word of God. I tell the people the truth. He said, you know, he just happened to bring this up. He said, "Uh, you know, it's a crazy world. He said, I went to somebody's house the other night, and he said a 17-year-old girl had been hit by her boyfriend with a flashlight across the face. A 17-year-old girlfriend. This is a holy ghost. I've seen myself do this before. I saw myself preaching this right here. I saw it before. It just came to me now. God had already shown me I was going to bring this to you. And I didn't even know it. I didn't even know the circumstances that were going to bring it. But I saw myself bringing this very word to you. He said he went to her and he saw her. And she had been hit like that. Was that she was dating a 50 year old man? A 17 year old dating a 50-year-old man. You're talking about messed up. And the law uh, law enforcement agent told me, he said, he said, and the father of this young girl could do nothing about it. His hands were tied. Then he began to go off of that. He said this, he said, you know, he said, I go. <laughs> From one place to another place where the woman is constantly battered and abused by the husband constantly and the question why are you still here why are you staying here in an abusive situation like that that's what the law enforcement agent told me and he said this is their answer Because I love him. So I'm trying to tell you that some people define love a very perverted way. And even men who stand behind puppets who refuse to tell the people the truth of God's word. So they can be saved. Have been deceived by a false love. Because they're harming the people and not doing them good because anything that keeps you from preaching the word of God and truth to people, it's definitely not love because the Bible says this, love rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the truth. So there is this philosophical, psychological kind of love that will leave you in a situation that will bring harm to you. And you and I can see that these women are crazy to stay in a a, a continual battering situation but they do all in the name of love but it's misguided love give God some praise false prophets shall arise they're everywhere man I said, they're everywhere. And they'll tell you just exactly what you want. They they, they know psychology. They know what you want to hear. They do. They know what I want to hear. So when you go there, you're going to get exactly what you want to hear. And you're never going to hear the truth of God's Word. I will tell you this right now. There is nothing higher than God's Holy Word. I don't care if it's heaven. I don't care if it's Hell. I don't care if we look at hell as being negative and heaven being glorious. It's still in the Word of God. It's still the gospel message. And there's not an absence of love to stand up and tell people there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And there's no absence of love telling people the, the whole the what God requires in His Word for us. Give God some praise. So, one of the signs false prophets. The Bible says, shall arise. Are y'all okay up there? In verse 12. And they shall, verse 11, they shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. Say rebellion. God said another sign. Not only psychological problems, but, and also uh, pseudo-prophets as a problem. But he says, also, he says, that iniquity shall abound. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many. Did you hear that? He says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. So to stay in iniquity is an absence of love. To stay in rebellion against God's holy word is an absence of love. I will tell you this right now, and it goes for me too that disobedience brings the judgment of God upon it there's no way around it for me or for you that disobedience brings the judgment of God upon it and only obedience can bring blessing to your life you write it down but because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall grow cold I thought if you just let people they never tell people the truth and let them just live in sin. That that's a love message. He says, "Iniquity causes love to grow cold." That is not the love message of the Bible. Give God some praise. Ooh, hello, somebody. But we're, we we have the sign today of rebellion. Rebellion in youth. Rebellion in the youth. Rebellion in children. Little children telling their parents off. But you in the name of love will not do anything about that. You have warped love, my friend. And I'm not talking about being abusive here. I'm talking about you have to correct that defiant, rebellious spirit. Young people are rebellious as they can. Law enforcement can't do anything with them. can't do anything with them I told my wife on today i said you know what i said i can catch the person red-handed but you know what i would have to chase them down clip their feet out from underneath them grab them and carry them to my house and then call the police i could look them in the eyeballs just like i'm looking at you brother and get a perfect description of them and they would never find them so I would have to take it into my own hands, capture them, and then call the, call the law. Whew, hallelujah. So I talked to, talked to this officer about some things. I said, hey, is it okay if I shoot them on the spot outside? He said, well, don't get into that. I said, well, what about if they come to my house? He said, it's okay then. I said, good. I said, because they don't want to come to my house. I don't walk in this silly kind of philosophical love that people are walking in. Mm-mm. The Bible says a strong man armed keepeth his house. I'm not going to let somebody come in my house and just take over my house and abuse my family and my children and everything else and not do anything about it. Oh, for the sake of love, you're crazy. That's not love. That's not love. I'll let my, my wife be treated wrong and my children be treated wrong that's not love that's your philosophical demonic darkness talking to you he said but you can do this he said if they don't come in the house he said you can you know do some bodily harm to them if you if you so choose I said I think I would so choose Give God some praise. We live because iniquity shall abound and rebellion shall abound. The love of many are going to grow cold. I don't want God to point a finger at me and say, and, and I'll stand up and say, but Lord, in the name of love, in the name of love, let me in your house. In the name of love, let me in your heaven. He said, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. And you're telling me that that God that sent them away is not a God of love? According to your philosophy, He's not. No, He's a righteous, holy God also. And He hates sin. He hates it. Look at what He went through to pay the price for it. Look at the depths that He went to to destroy that evil that's inside of us. How can we condone what he died to take away? How can you or I, as a church and claim to be the people of God and a child of God, look lightly on anything that's sin, knowing the price that he paid? We're going to just use the love card, but he loves me. Give God some praise. Because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall grow cold. I don't want God pointing a finger at me on judgment day. And say, son, it went cold. Your love went cold. You got into rebellion and your love went cold. He says, because you're neither hot nor nor cold I'll spit you out of my mouth and that's a loving God telling us that we cannot straddle the fence he does love us with an infinite love but that love should motivate us to look at sin the way it should be looked at There's something very evil and very dark. It's like a cancer. It's worse than a cancer. I guarantee you tonight, if I had cancer in a test tube, and I were to take the lid off and do this, something I go, whoa, get away from me! No, no, don't get around me with that test tube of cancer, man! (laughs) Oh, come on, come on, in the name of love, let me get close to you. Now get away from me with that thing, man! And that's the way we should treat sin. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall go cold. Because the rebellion shall abound people's loves going to go cold. I tell you what, we gotta get away from sin like we get away from a vile of cancer. You need to treat it like your worst enemy, because it wants to take you to hell with. You. And all of us, including this preacher, have a sin nature in us that is capable of very dark rebellion against God. Iniquity is rebellion against divine authority. That's one of the signs of the last days. So we see young people today rebelling like never before. Not just young people in the world, but young people in the church. Can I stand up here and tell you something? There was a time when I used to be a youth pastor. And I stood up and I looked at the young people that I pastored, you know, led... However you want to put, it. I could care less about titles, and I would preach the word of God to them. And there was a revival that broke out in our young people in that church, big time. It was power it was a powerful move of God, but we didn't have a, a move of God in our young people by always, you know, playing games with them always trying to make a give them what they wanted you know we we stood up and we told them the truth I want to tell you something I went to another church was a youth leader in another church and we started teaching truth that they started rising up rebelling against us you know what we did I'm not condoning this I'm not saying that's what you ought to do I'm just telling you what I did one of them you know smarting off back there and causing all kinds of problems throwing spit wads and everything else in the house I got right up in their face I said you're not going to do that here you might have done it with the leader before, but you're not going to do it with us. No more throwing. Nothing like that stuff's going on in here anymore. You know what that young person did? He had so much rebellion in him. Said that, brother Jonathan. You know what he did? He said, "You better get out of my face." He said, "If you don't, he said, if you don't get out of my face, I'm going to take a bat after you." I said, "Go get your bat." I said, "You go get your bat." And I got that young person, and I took him straight into the office with me. And a couple of the youth leaders that were with me. And I looked him right in the eyeballs. I said, son, you go get your bat. I'm ready for you right now. Now, can I tell you something about that young person? The next time I saw him, I saw him in a store. And you know what? He had some respect. He said, Brother Carter, he's very respectful. Completely changed. But I want to tell you something. Love. You say you love people. When I went in that situation in that church, if there was anarchy. They were running across town and ripping off the mall on Sundays. It was a mess. And we had all kinds of a people that we had to conquer and overcome. And you know what the pastor did? He just stood back and he let us preach to them. And there was a, there, I want you to know, friend, there was a move of God that took place there. I'm not the hero here they are the heroes because they listened to the word of God and they got right with God and we had a move of God in that youth group on Tuesday nights and there came a time when they were running around their youth building running around praising God but we didn't get there by giving them what they wanted we got there by telling them the truth and that's what they want So I know, I know about rebellion in the teenage heart because I got it in me. But you got to walk, walk with God. You got to learn to submit that to God. You got to put that under the blood. God's good. And some of those people that I was in that youth group, I'm pastoring them tonight. That's right, I'm pastoring them tonight. So there was something that got inside of him. And by the way, they are the youth leaders right now. Are you with me tonight? Rebellion in young people. The world is revolting. There's anarchy in the government. That's one of the ways the devil seeks to overthrow the throne of God. God through anarchy overthrowing the government that's why in our day right now there is a revolt there's rebellion there's iniquity in every country there's somebody revolting against something and somebody rebelling against something here all that stuff's going on it's the spirit of the Antichrist and if it ever gets a hold of me if it ever gets a hold of you see iniquity is worse than sin Lord have mercy I can't believe I'm preaching like this i just going to try to teach you a Bible study. But iniquity or rebellion against divine authority is worse than sin. Because sin is something you do by action. Rebellion is a sin in the spirit. It's a sin of the spirit. So you can walk around and have your skirt just exactly the right length. And have your hairdo... Just exactly where it needs to be. And all that stuff going on for you. Come on. And some of you men got it all. Got your hair fixed right. Just like it's supposed to. Oh yeah. Hallelujah. But still have rebellion in the heart. And that's worse than the sin of action. Because it's a sin in the spirit. It's a sin in your spirit. That will take you down to hell. So we cannot let that free spirit. Of this age, get a hold of our church, our young people, our leadership. Because right. it's the spirit of Antichrist. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Endurance has to be to the end. You can't stand up and say, well, Lord, I went 20 years. Lord, I made it 50 and then I backslid in the last year of my life. The Bible said he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. There's got to be some endurance about us. There's got to be something inside of us that causes us to overcome everything that would come against us. That would destroy us. You cannot submit to anything that takes you down. You cannot submit to any spirit that takes your prayer, your praise, your worship, your walk with God. Because the devil wants to destroy every one of us you got to endure to the, the same. He that endures the, end, the same shall be saved. Are y'all okay out there? God's oh, good. He's talking to us even in a Bible study. Oh, God, don't. I'll go in there. I'm going there. Can I tell you something? I want to just help the choir tonight. I'm going to help the choir tonight. If you're not careful, can I tell you something? I've walked with preachers, I've been around ministries, okay? And very few times have I ever come across a minister who had a problem with iniquity or pride. Very rarely do you find that. But there's something about singers that that spirit of pride gets a hold of them. I'm telling you to not choir. If it ever creeps in your camp, you run it out the door. We have no time for it in any form or fashion. My problem, my problem is really not a problem anymore. Thank God we had a powerful move, God said that. And my problem has always come from singers. And I think I know why. Because the devil was over praise in heaven. And so anybody that's in the house of God who creates praise and worship unto God. The devil's going to try to creep into them and create a pride thing in them, a a sin and a spirit thing inside of him. God will use you very powerfully in that ministry but you have to guard yourself more than I think most. Because you thought, well, because I can get on the platform and sing, I'm really special. Honey, it's his show. It's his kingdom. It's his show. It's his church. It's not my show. It's not your show. It's not your kingdom. It's his kingdom. And I'm not, I'm really trying, I'm not trying to beat you up. If that's the way you feel, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to come across that way. I'm just telling you the plain truth. He that endures the end, the same shall be saved. If the apostle Paul was worried about being a castaway, Who am I to walk around thinking that I couldn't be? If Paul, with everything he did for the kingdom of God, still feared to be a castaway, who am I to think that I could not be? Who am I to think that I could walk around and be loose about this walk with God? Who am I to think that I can just do it the way I want to do it and be in heaven if the great apostle of all times was worried about being set aside by God? Now that's Bible, my friend. We have to walk in this world circumspectly, man. The enemy wants to take us down. God said, I got to put a thorn in that man's side because I... because he was concerned that Paul would be lifted up in pride. He said, i got to put something in him that's going to prick him every time he gets a big head. I'm talking about an apostle. I'm talking about a man who raised the dead. I'm talking about a man who traveled over 12,000 miles, land and sea to preach the gospel. Was concerned about being a castaway. And can so can our walk with God so nonchalantly and so lightly and think that we are going to make it I love you he that endures to the end the same shall be saved many are the afflictions of the righteous look at your neighbor I need to give you this word Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Look at, look at Brother He. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them or him out of all of them. He didn't say it was going to be easy to get through the gate. He said it was going to be hard, straight, and narrow, and few are going to be saved. So I hold on to that scripture. Many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. Come on, God's talking to us, church, because He loves you. You want to feel a real loving God? You got Him tonight. Bible talks about wars and rumors of wars Matthew 24 6 through 8 wars and rumors of wars you know right now so much money is spent on war implementation I think more money is spent on war implementation than any other thing look at the billions we spent just going to Iraq to fight in Iraq God said wars and rumors of wars hot wars and cold wars would increase in the last days you're living in the last days This generation has seen more wars than any previous generation that has ever existed. Are you hearing me right now? If you were to take all the deaths of all the previous generations before our generation, and you were to add them up, and then take all the deaths that uh, took place as a result of war in our generation, would you know that there's more deaths in our generation than all the previous wars put together? I've got that in documentation. You are living in the age of war. (laughs) You are living in the age where jesus said there would be signs i want you to know i want to walk close to him i want to walk i want to be on fire i can't let anything get in my life that takes the place of my walk we are on literally on the verge of armageddon the war of all wars famines earthquakes earthquakes, if you were to take a scale of earthquakes, you know. I'm not going to get into that, I don't have time. But anyway, you know we're in the time. Praise God. The return of the Jews to the land of Palestine is a sign that we're in the last days. Amen. 70 AD we talked about it last week they were driven out of their land they concapped it for over 1800 years they did not have a land they're now back in their land Isaiah 11 tells us that's one of the signs of Christ's return when they say peace And safety, sudden destruction cometh. The UN, United Nations, so-called purpose for existence is to create peace in the earth. That's the whole purpose of existence. That's what they say. But you cannot find peace without the Prince of Peace. And people are trying to find peace in their own lives, in their families, in their nations, in the world. By creating peace councils and going to all these conferences on peace. You will not have peace without the Prince of Peace. Individually, corporately, nationally, or worldwide. You must have Jesus in your life to have peace. And when they say, peace and safety, sudden destruction cometh, 1 Thessalonians 5. Are you with me? So the more we talk about, yeah, we're moving in a time of peace right now, you know. That's just a sign. The Bible says the Antichrist, and Daniel says the Antichrist shall destroy many. By peace, he shall destroy many. By peace, he shall destroy many. Are y'all okay out there? Lovers of pleasure is a sign. Let me give you that scripture. Okay. When they say peace and safety, sudden destruction cometh. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 8. Lovers of pleasure having a form of godliness. Lovers of pleasure having a form of godliness. Enemy number one. Enemy number one. What is enemy number one in our world? Boredom. I'm telling you the truth. It's enemy number one. People want to have fun. They're looking for fun because they cannot stand being bored. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Want to have a good time. There's nothing wrong with having a good time. I like having a good time. There ain't nobody in here who likes to have a good time more than I like to have a good time. Praise the Lord. But righteously, I'm not going to put that above God. Oh, I'm boring some of y'all to tears. Enemy number one, boredom. I'm boredom. Bring out the monkey show having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such fellowship I'm sorry if you're bored <laughs> Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They're just formal. They just they're they're Christians in name only. They have no power. They have no power. Only a form of godliness. He says this from such turn away. Well, Pastor, that's pretty strong, you know. I mean, isn't that rude? God said to do it. You get in the midst of somebody who has this only a form of godliness, but there's no power thereof. God said, from such, turn away, get out of there. Tell them what they need to know and then walk out. And by all means, don't go sit down in their church and claim to be a member when there's no move of God, no truth being preached, allow you to sleep. Having a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Amen. Disobedient to parents. is a sign. This is 2 Timothy 3. 1 through 3. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Proud. Unholy sign of the last days. Think about it, okay? Do you know to be unthankful is idolatry? Do you know for us to walk around and murmur and complain that is a, a manifestation of being unthankful? Do you know that God judged Israel, His own people in the Old Testament for murmuring and complaining and being unthankful? Do you know God judged His people for that sucking thumb stuff that we let get a hold of us and we walk around claiming to be so holy but we'll suck our thumb? Can I tell you something? I'll be honest with you. If you're you're under something, if you're under a burden, it better be a burden of God. Because if you're up underneath something that's causing you to suck your thumb, that's flesh, my friend. Nothing more to it than just plain old pure flesh. And that is rebellion. I mean, it's idolatry. It is idolatry. Idolatry. And we claim we don't have idols, but we murmur and we claim uh, are unthankful. That is idolatry. If I've got a burden tonight, if I've got a heaviness tonight, it needs to be in the area of righteousness and holiness. It needs to be in the area of there's lost people out there that I haven't reached yet. It, it needs to be because I am not the man of God that I should be and I know it. But I can't, I can't just use that as an excuse. I've got to be willing to do something about my not being what I'm supposed to be. unthankfulness is idolatry brings the judgment of God on us man it'll stop the flow of the spirit of God in you in a moment in a moment I said in a moment man if it's a burden from God it's the fire is going to hit you the power is going to hit you man if you're carrying a burden but if it's not God if it's you sucking your thumb and you're unthankful what's going to happen is there's no move of God in that vessel the flow has stopped. Are y'all loving the Lord tonight? <laughs> Woo, man, there's some goodness of God going on in here tonight, man. He's talking to me. I say He's talking to me. Well, I got it right, Pastor. God's good, isn't he? Proud. Unholy. Mm. Eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Doesn't sound like much wrong with that, does it? I mean, we need to eat, don't we? And the Bible says it's good to be married. The Bible says if, if a man finds a wife, he found a good thing. <laughs> well, the Bible says, right, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. You know, so you got to eat, and if you find a wife, you find a good thing. But God, Jesus said that's a sign of the last days, eating, drinking, marrying, giving him marriage. The point is, is the lawful things can take you away from God. He's warning you about getting distracted by the things of this world. There's nothing in this world that you can let take the place of God. No marriage, no wife, no husband, no job, no business, no friend. Nothing in this world world should be in the place of your walk with God if it is I tell you what you do repent now don't play with it Hmm. pardon me just pardon me But there was a time when I wasn't preaching or nothing, but I was a saint in the church, and I had a job, and the people said, I tell you what, we'll make you a manager. We'll give you the manager's job right now. But you'll have to miss Wednesday night's church. I said, you can have your manager's job, because I'm not missing church. I'm not missing church. And I quit that job, stepped out in faith, because I knew I was at that point. I had to make a decision. I stepped out in faith, and it took me four months to find another job. But when I got it, I was there for 10 years. Sometimes you gotta step out and say, no! It's not for sale, devil! I'm not for sale! My walk with God is not for sale. You can't have it at any price. No price. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Lawful things. that become distractions. And I'm not saying if every once in a while you got to miss the work. I'm not saying quit your job what I'm saying is if you've got to miss all the time because of it I can tell you right now that's not the will of God I know it's not A brother came to me not long ago he said I got a, I'm got. up for a manager's job you think I should take it pastor I mean I said well I mean pray about it He's going to keep you out of church he said very rarely I said well take it just every once in a while, I'll take it. That's all. You're strong enough to make it. But not, it, not everybody's strong enough to make it even missing one service. Do you know that? There's some of us in here tonight that are not strong enough to miss one service. We're not. We come under temptation and we get all cold and lukewarm. Some of us are just not strong enough. You might be strong enough, but there was a time in my life I had to say, no, I can't miss Wednesday. I am not strong enough. I've got to be in the house of God. And can I tell you, I'm not doing so bad now. I mean, I'm not real fat, but I'm not real skinny. You know, I'm still alive. And I just tell you, I've always found that when you step out and put God first, that God is always going to be there. When you honor God, God is going to honor you. He will take care of you like you never thought possible. And it might not be in your time, but that's your test. That's your test! Man, God's good isn't in church. The rapture. Everybody doing okay up there? Are y'all bored yet? reach your neighbor and say the pastor's not trying to beat us up tonight <clears throat> just, just look at him and say ouch <coughs> Ooh. Ow. Ow. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> look at your neighbor and say wake me up when he gets through with this one Y'all believe in the rapture? (coughs) All these signs that we just talked about are pointing to His soon return. Now some people will say, well, well, there's always been those signs in the earth. But never have they happened at the same time in history. That's what makes all these signs we've talked about unique is that they are converging at the same time in history. That's how we can know we're in the last days. I know y'all are really anxious to hear what I'm going to say about the rapture. (laughs) Amen. No man knows the day or the hour. So if you want me to stand up here and try to give you a day or an hour, I can't do that. But do you know this? I always hold on to the belief that I'm going to be raptured at any moment. On one hand, I believe I can go tonight. And so I must live today like it was going to happen today. And I think that's one reason why God made some of it a mystery about the timing of its occurrence. is because if he were to give us the exact day and hour, he knows our flesh. <clears throat> that we would be tempted, you know, Ooh, it's only a week now, the Lord's coming in a week, Oh, you, ah, let's get with it now, you know. And we wouldn't really live for him the rest of the time. And so I believe that God made a mystery out of it. As far as the day and the hour. So I must take the approach as a preacher and a a child of God that it could happen today. And also on the other hand with some good, good scriptures that's been showed us, also now I believe that I've got to hold on to the possibility that we might go through the seven-year tribulation period. None of the wrath of God coming upon us. And i don't want to get into that tonight but at one time i thought the seven-year tribulation period was the day of the lord but it's not and i one reason why I, I could preach a pre-trib rapture without even thinking about it was because i knew that we would not be appointed to the day of the lord of the day of his wrath until i found out that the seven-year tribulation period is not the day of the lord That the day of the Lord happens right at the end of it. So now having that that understanding, I walk every day with my head lifted to the heavens uh, (coughs) looking for His return. But on the other hand, also I must walk with God in such a way that if the tribulation starts tomorrow, I'm going to walk with Him. Now some of y'all might say, well that's copying out. Well, honey, when you get it figured out, come talk to me. Because I've been studying. I preach pre-trip for 22 years. 22 years. There was nobody stronger in pre-trip than me. Nobody. People come to me and ask me. Other from a- was moved. That's called the day of the Lord. And it was moved at the end of the seven years. When that happened, God put me on my head and spun me. Hallelujah, so I'm not trying to cop out on the thing. I'm just telling you. I just flat. I don't know for sure Maybe I'll get a dream revelation or something. You know like all these other guys get. (laughs) But for me, it's interesting that God leaves it shrouded in mystery Because that means I'm gonna look every day for his coming every day every day every day and if i sit up here and told you that hey it will be at the end of seven years tribulation period so live like the devil because it's definitely not pre-trib then you might do that because that's just flesh and then right at the end run in there and get saved (coughs) no i'm sorry hello But I got a pastor I can show you. Friend, a lot of what you can show me I gave to you. (laughs) But see, pastor, see? Yeah, I preached it to you. (laughs) So I'm really, you know, not quite as messed up as you think I am. Or maybe I'm worse, I don't know. But anyway, I'll tell you this, that when the rapture takes place, it's gonna be like any day. On one part of the world one side of the world it's gonna be day, on the other side of the world it's gonna be dark. One side of the world people are gonna be sleeping, on the other side of the world, people's getting up to go to work. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody on one side of the earth, they're getting up and looking to heaven and For them to look to heaven means they're looking for us to look where they're looking. We'd have to be looking down. So where is heaven? Oh, you didn't get that, did you? We always walk around looking up in heaven like this and the Lord's coming like this. We think heaven's up. But the people on the other side of the globe are looking up. They're looking up. But for me to look the same direction, they're looking to be looking down. And for them to be looking the same direction I'm looking up uh, at, it would be them looking down. So where's heaven? Because the globe's surrounded by space. The Bible talks about heaven being up, but it talks about being in the north. So maybe instead of walking around with your head like this all the time, maybe you ought to start looking in the northern direction. I think that's north, isn't it? Yeah. Come on, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm looking for you to come, Lord. Hallelujah. And then the Bible says, this, you know, as lightning flashes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And so we're looking up, and he's coming from the east to the west. (laughs) Okay, anyway, anyway, I just thought I'd give you that to think about, you know. (laughs) But it's going to be like, you know, any other day. Mama's going to get up somewhere, going to send her kids off to school. Dad's going to go to work, leave Mama at home, working in the house. Some of the women going up. Oh, whatever, okay. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, it's going to happen in the moment, and in the twinkling of an eye, quicker than you can even fl- blink your eye. It's quicker than a flashing. I mean, a blink. It's in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I can't remember what the time is, but it's fast. <laughs> I used to know. I used to know the exact moment of a twinkling of an eye. But anyway, it's going to happen. And all of a sudden, chaos. Cars running off the road. Plane crashes. Plane crashes. Chaos. People have disappeared. And they don't know what they gone. That unbelieving husband goes home and looks for that godly wife. And she's gone. That unbelieving wife goes home looking for that man of God and he's gone. The church will be filled like never before. People who heard the radio broadcast will fill this place. People who have come in this church and heard the word preached and went out will come into this place people left behind, people who almost became Christians. The almost people will fill the churches. Those people who almost live for God but because they couldn't give up something or because they thought they were going to have to give up too much, they decided not to do it. Those almost people are going to fill churches in fact when the rapture of the church takes place it could be in the middle of an altar service with somebody who had come and gone from the place of the holy and they came back to church finally made their way back to the house of god and the convicting power of god comes upon them and they run to the altar and they're praying but the rapture takes place and it's too late and they're left behind and the altar trying to pray back through because i believe that someday jesus will give the altar call he will give the final call and he'll call people out of a church and leave some behind in their altars crying out to him people who almost became christians but the price was too high it was too great it's going to happen someday the living and resurrected saints are caught up to meet the Lord in the air first Thessalonians 4 they're associated with the first resurrection see this man coming up out of the grave a worker maybe he's in the graveyard and all of a sudden the graves open up and piles of dirt that covered the bodies of the saints come flying out of the graves the caskets doors swing open and they fly out leaving only behind him a pile of dirt people driving by the cemeteries Look to their right hand and they see piles of dirt that once were upon the the coffins of the saints have been blown out of their graves. People who have been buried by trees and the trees have sucked up their body parts as they decayed and sucked it up into the tree and all of a sudden the sounding of the trumpet, of the, the, the voice of the archangel on archa- the trumpet of God. The dead are raised first. All of a sudden, that tree that has parts of that person's body in it splits up and it explodes because it has to give out the dead that was in it. The person that was buried at sea They placed their bodies on the ship And dropped their bodies in their coffins Into the sea And down at the bottom of the sea The fish came and got their bodies And ate their bodies And at the resurrection, the rapture of the church All of a sudden Those molecules of that body Have to come back together So the fish have to give up the dead That are in them men who were saints of God who were working on dams and bridges etc who fell into concrete and they couldn't get them out they died in the concrete and, and so it hardened there they couldn't get them out at the resurrection of the church the rapture of the church the dead in Christ shall rise all of a sudden those concrete pillars are going to go they're going to explode because they've got to give up the dead. that are there what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. Oh, what a day that will be. There's nothing in this life. Worth missing it. It's going to happen. It's the blessed hope and the appearing of your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you least expect it, tonight when you go to bed, before you wake up, it could have happened. You send your kids off to school tomorrow and you won't see them again in the same way again because the rapture will take place and your children will fly away and if you are right with god you'll catch them in the air and so shall you ever be with the lord wherefore comfort one another with these words many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord delivers him out of all of them that's what god wants you to know tonight It's gonna be worth it all someday. We'll give God some praise. (coughs) And then from there immediately we'll go before the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. Judgment seat of Christ. First Corinthians, the Bible talks about this judgment seat of Christ, chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. This is not a judgment to see whether or not I'm saved or lost if I go on the rapture. So shall I Oh, So shall we ever be with the Lord. So this is not determine my salvation. This determines my reward. So this life must be lived in the light. and it's still early, don't start going to sleep on me. Hallelujah. The rapture just took place. <laughs> It's early. That's why right now, see, we cannot be slothful. We can't be halfway in the things of God. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. But someday you're going to stand before God and you're going to receive a reward. Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And it's not just the work that's going to be judged, but it's going to be judged what sort it is, which means what was the motive behind the work. Some of you may have a greater reward than your pastor does, because maybe what he did was so that he could be seen, or so he could be famous, or so he could be known. Maybe some of you are going to have a greater reward than your pastor or his wife. Maybe he might pastors your pastor's wife. Will have a greater reward, reward than your pastor. I'm serious. Because God's not just going to judge the works that you do, but the motivation behind it. Did you do it to be seen? Why did you do it? We cannot be slothful. The Bible talks about God gave five talents to one man, He went and doubled it and got ten talents. Amen? Two talents to another man and got five. Is that correct? but he gave another man one talent one talent one talents worth of responsibility and the Bible said because he feared his he feared he went and hid his talent in the earth and the Lord says this about that man because he was not a wise steward and he did not fulfill what he was supposed to do for the Lord the Lord says take from him the talent and give it to the one who had five talents and cast this one into outer darkness. I cannot be slothful. I cannot live that way. Someday I'm going to stand before God along with you at a judgment seat, a Bema seat. I'm running to win. Run to win. To win. Don't fight. Don't just beat the air like that. Don't just waste your time. Make it count. Paul said, So fight is not as one that beats the air. He said, Man, when I'm when I do something, I want it to make an impact. Run to win. Don't be slothful. And for sure, don't be the person that does nothing because you will not be in heaven. And that's not preaching a work salvation. What it's preaching is a genuine, true believer who walks with God, who produces fruit. Are you with me? He talks about, oh yeah, I'm going there. Luke 13. It's early, hallelujah. I'm not even going there, man. I don't, I'm not even going to look at your face. I'm not looking at your face. And, I, and, and please, I know you're tired. I, I'm not taking that away from you. I know you are. You had a long day. I'm not taking that away from you. Luke 13, watch. Amen. Luke 13. 23 then said one unto him Lord are there few that be saved and he said unto them strive look at your neighbor and say strive Strive. to strive means you've got to exert yourself you can't be passive you can't be laid back with this stuff you've got to strive you've got to exert yourself strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many I say unto you will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now you've got to remember the disciples asked the question, Lord, are there few that be saved? And his answer to that question was, for many I say unto you will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door and he began to stand without to knock at the door saying Lord Lord open unto us and he shall answer and say unto you I know you not whence you are he's telling us here that few are going to enter in and many that want to will not that's his answer to the question are there few that will be saved I'm telling you tonight that when the rapture does take place, there's only going to be a few, there's going to be few people that go through the door. There's only going to be a few people that are going to be ready for it. That's what he said right there, few is going to enter into the gate. There are a lot of denominational systems according to your manuals, your search for truth manual, there's 600 denominations and the majority of them don't preach the new birth They don't preach it. They say all you got to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's it. They don't preach what we talked about the early part of this. Are there few that be saved? I'm going to read it again. Strive to enter at the straight gate for many I say unto you will seek to enter in and shall not be able. to the judgment seat of Christ where we receive rewards, crowns. Hallelujah. Everything we've done in this life. How many of y'all would like to stand by Paul? I want to stand by Paul, says somebody, uh, at the judgment seat of Christ. Can you imagine standing behind him? I will tell you this, that if Paul is in front of me, I'm going to look, I'm going to look for somebody I know. And I'm going to say, will you please follow Him? (laughs) There there's some saints that I would not want to stand with or behind the judgment seat of Christ. They were not slothful. They took their talents and they furthered the kingdom of God. Amen. And I believe some of you here tonight will be there. You will be there. Have you ever considered one day after the rapture what it's going to be like? One day, one day, one day after the rapture when your body's been sucked out, been caught out of this earth. To meet Him in the year. And the first 24 hours in eternity when you've seen Him and He sits upon that great demon saint and one by one the saints of God go before Him and are rewarded for their service in this life. Have you ever thought about it, contemplated one day in eternity? One day after the rapture think about it after the judgment seat of Christ we see rewards and also loss there's going to be tears in heaven because it's not until you get to the end of the book of Revelation that God says he'll wipe all tears from their eyes which means one by one if we stand before God We could, we will see what we could have been should have been We see where we did not do what we should have done we'll see what we could have accomplished we'll see what we felt in and all of a sudden that reward will burn up in our eyes wood hay and stubble burn up and we'll cry in heaven for a period of time how long it, I understand with revelation it's not till after a thousand years have come and gone that then the bible says he wipes the tears from our eyes I wonder if some of us will weep in, in eternity longer than what we realize after the judgment seat of Christ the marriage supper of the lamb what an awesome time that's going to be sit down with the saints of God in that supper marriage supper of the lamb the bride there with him clothed in their wedding garments revelation 19 talks about our wedding garments are so the listen It doesn't say that they're clothed with the righteousness of Christ there. Revelation 19 says that we are clothed with the righteousnesses of the saints. That the wedding garment is the righteousnesses of... Not imparted righteousness, but your righteousnesses, your righteous acts, is what's going to make your garment Every thread in your garment is the righteousnesses of the saints. Does that mean I'm going to have a literal kittle? They call it the kittle. Am I going to have a literal garment? I believe it has to do with something with glorification. But it's still a real garment. It's a glory garment. But there's different levels of glory in eternity. Not everybody going to shine the same. The righteousnesses, read Revelation 19. The righteousnesses of the saints is what makes your wedding garment. And here we all are sitting down to the marriage supper of the lamb. Yeah, reward has been given. Now we're going to sit down, what's that supper you have after you have the marriage and all of that and that what do they call that? Reception that's what it is. It starts in heaven, I believe. And it ends in the earth. And can I tell you how long it lasts? The marriage supper of the Lamb lasts for 1,000 years. Through the whole kingdom age. Through the whole kingdom age. 1,000 years. Woo! Starts in heaven, it ends in the earth. The Lord comes back and shows you off. Just you know, you know what I'm talking about? It's it, a lot of our marriage customs tied into what, what's gonna happen there. He's gonna come back and show us off to the This is my bride. This is my woman. Come over here, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, sit down with me, with my bride. Daniel, hey, Daniel, come here. No, 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 no. I didn't. He's drunk. (laughs) What a day that will be. Now I don't have time to get into all the, all some of this that I'm teaching you about the time length of it, but it's a beautiful thing. And the rest of the dead live not until, again, until a thousand years were finished. That's the kingdom age. We'll talk about that next week. Okay. Coming to a close here. If the rapture of the church takes place before the seven-year tribulation period, then upon the earth at the same time will be the manifestation and reign of Antichrist. There will be a world ruler that will arise. He will offer peace to the world. He will be admired by everybody for the most part. Okay. Are you with me here? He will be a man of extreme high intelligence. He operates in the occult. He will have answers to the economic problems of the day. He will set up a one-world government, a one-world religious system will be set up, and also a one-world economy system will be set up underneath him. He will make everybody take a mark of the beast to be able to buy and sell, hallelujah. He's called the beast in Revelation 13. The reason why he's called the beast is, be, is not because he evidently according to this one understanding is not because he's ferocious in his appearance but it's because he has power to influence his authority over people in the earth that he's, he's beautiful that he's ha- one of admiration. He, they believe he's the Messiah. They believe he's Christ. He has power to do these all these signs miracles and wonders and stuff etc call down fire from heaven. The beast, the, the second beast, has power to do that. You with me here? Anyway. His coming is after the working of Satan with all power and deceivableness. That's Satan, second. long 2, 9 through 10. The rich and the poor are forced to take the mark of the beast to buy and sell. Revelation 13, 16 through 17. What's going to happen to people who follow the Antichrist? Those who worship the beast will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the lamb that's revelation 14. God tells us in revelation 14 what's going to happen to people who take the mark they'll be tormented forever no rest forever those who took the mark of the beast Revelation chapter 20 sometimes turn there and read it, <clears throat> Revelation 20 tells you what's going to happen to those who refuse to take the mark. They will be beheaded. Wow. Now that's interesting. Will y'all hang with me because it's only 9:30. What's interesting about the word that it talks about beheading and getting your head cut off, it's connected with the sword that Islam uses. So the fact that islam is rising more and more in our world today is a sign because when they execute they execute with a sword okay so that if you refuse to take the mark of the beast and they catch you they will cut your head off okay. but if you do take the mark you'll burn in hell forever He'll come in here and he'll exalt himself above all that is called God, so that he as God will be worshiped. So that he as God will be worshiped as God. Amen. Y'all got that, right? Now I'm fixing to lay something heavy on you. I feel led to do this. When he rises to power, I'm going to tell you what I believe is going to be the greatest thing that deceives, especially the Jews. Because at the time of the rise of the Antichrist, the Jewish nation will play a major role. Tribulation is called Jacob's trouble. He will, call, he will try to annihilate the Jewish people. He will try to take every thought of God out of everybody's mind and make everybody worship him as God. He'll go in the temple, set in, in the temple, show himself as God. There's more than one way to look at this, but anyway. I'll tell you what I believe would be the greatest deception pulled and how he could do it is if he goes in Jerusalem in the middle of the tribulation period and he walks in there and claims to be Messiah he walks into the area where they've already made the high priest's garments he puts on the high priest's mitre he puts on the high priest's vestments the garments ephod stones on the breastplate pomegranates, bells and walks out and claims to be the Messiah Because do you know that's exactly how Israel is looking for their Messiah to come? There is something that he will do that is so deceptive that it will suck multitudes of Jews into his lie. Because in case you don't know it, Jesus doesn't come back, I can guarantee you, until after the tribulation period. And the Antichrist enters into the temple. The rebuilt temple, if we're talking about literal fulfillment, the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, he enters there and sits there as God. If the garments are, are already made, that I believe he's going to put them on and walk right in there and claim to be the high priest and the Messiah himself. Are you hearing me? I believe he's also going to ride on the white horse right into Jerusalem in closing Uh, that's correct if Christians if we're still in the earth if they were if it were possible the Lord says That even the very elect would, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. Even the elect, the elect has to do with the people of God. vials of wrath are going to be poured out during the Great Tribulation period, Revelation 16. But back up into 15, you'll find that it flows in there. Now this happens right at the end of the seven years and it's very quick. It's one right after another. And I know that's the wrath of God. That is the wrath. And the Bible says in Revelation 15 that it is the completion of the wrath of God. Not the beginning of the wrath of God, it says it's the completion of the wrath of God. So I know that this is the wrath of God here. Now what's going to be happening for all you who are number one enemy? bored? I guarantee you you won't be honey child. You won't be if you live to see this, you won't be bored anymore. I guarantee you that. That I prophesy to you <laughs> right now, I prophesy to you. And that's a yeah. son's going to be given power to scorch men with fire. Can you imagine how hot that's going to be? The Bible talks about it being like the oven. How many of y'all got ovens in your house? Last time I checked, they get around 500 degrees. In the shade, it's going to be hotter than it normally would be in the open sunlight. Can you imagine being in 500 degree heat? Do you... Oh, God, help me. I've got to hurry. Do you know that right now the sun is is pulse, it's surging. Do you know that? And do you know that that's what a star does before it explodes and becomes a black hole or a supernova? They begin to surge. Scientists say that when it, when a star gets fifty percent of it, when it's used fifty percent of its energy, that it begins to surge. And do you know our sun is, is said to be doing that now? And when it it surges, it gets hot, it cools down, gets hot, cools down, before it explodes into a black hole. And our sun right now, scientists are watching it and saying it's doing it now. So that when the sun surges like that, it's going to be hot as an oven, man. God knows what he's talking about. Scorch men with fire when you get around your barbecue pit. Think about this. My thing's not working. Is that a sign? Lightning. Lightning. Great earthquakes. Great hailstones. The Bible says the hailstones weigh one talent, that's about a hundred pounds. Are gonna fall from the heavens. There's nothing standing that can withstand a hundred pound hailstone falling from the heavens. Do you know this place right now? If it were to hit be hit by a hundred pound hailstone, it'd just crush everything, it'd come right through that ceiling. You ever seen a car that's been hit, hit by a golf ball sized hailstone? You ever seen what it's done? What it does to it? Knocks out windows. everything else. Hundred pound hailstones, man, coming from the heavens. Have you ever been hit by a hellstone? I tell you what you do. If you need to wake up, you need you walk with God to get where it needs to be. When next time we have a hell storm, storm walk out, stick your head out the door, and just take you a good whammy. <laughs> Walk out there and see how you feel, man. Little old pea-sized thing hit your head, brother. Ow, man, got a knot like it. Then a hundred-pound hellstone. Can you imagine it flatten you? It just, it'd just squish you. All your bones are just go. It's going to happen, church. I said it's going to happen. I know I'm kind of crazy I said I know I'm kind of crazy but if God was to is gonna keep his church through that that we wouldn't experience that I sure would like to see it I'm kind of crazy but I like to see God do I like see I like God to show his stuff man see little man you know thinking he's big dude big time dude you know big shot Think he can tell God what to do do his own thing I tell you what, I was in the prayer room tonight. I said, "God, it's your show. It's your kingdom. It's your church. You do whatever you want to do tonight in this house." Because I like to God. I like God. Show his show his stuff, man. I know you. I know that's crazy, but I, I'm in love with God. If God's doing it, I'm not going to complain. That doesn't mean I'm excited about all the people that are going to die at that time. But I am excited about my God. That's when I start talking about the signs of the times. I get happy. Why are you happy, preacher? Because God. I know God. Because if you know God, you don't walk around in fear and torment. Oh, God. What's going to happen next? If you really know God, this excites you. See, things come to pass. Such, if you really know God. If you don't know God, I'm scaring the hell out of you tonight. You are, you're scared, you're scared spitless, man. You're going to go home and have nightmares tonight. Because you know you're not right with God. If you're right with God, you're excited about it. A loose connection rivers and oceans turn to blood the Antichrist martyrs millions of people and so now God makes him drink his own blood can you imagine having that type of heat and these occurrences and then have to look for water and it's turned to blood Grievous sores break out all over men boils from the top of your head to the top of your feet. How many of y'all ever had a boil of any kind? Nobody? One boil hurts. Is Okay, can you imagine from the top of your head to the sole of your feet covered in open wounds and boils? Do you know that... It is believed that when you put a mark underneath your skin that that causes boils. Scientists say today that if you were to put put that under your skin that it would cause boils. Isn't that interesting? That God said one of the signs of the wrath of God or what His wrath would be is that men would break out and boils all over their body. It would be linked to their receiving a mark in their hands or in their foreheads. Am I telling the truth, Christina? They, if, they, if they break open under the skin, then people, act, they, they've tested this. These chips are under the skin. They've tested this. And that when they broke open, that boils broke out all over their bodies. God knows what He's talking about. Man, we're living exciting days. Every product you buy in the store, they run it across the scanner has 666 on it. Every one of them. If I had it, I could show it. I, I know the marks. I know where they are. I could show them to you. Some of you do too. It show me exactly. Every one of them has the mark of the beast sign. Every product you buy. Okay. You're going to have to have good eyes, but you see that six right there? In the, on that box, that six in the middle? See, there's six. Just take my word for it. It's getting late. You can come up here and look at it. There is a six in the middle of this barcode with two small lines, okay? So those two small lines are always going to be a six. So you've got a six in the middle, then you've got two lines on the end, six, and you've got two lines on this end. You've got six on the outside, six in the middle, and six on the outside. You've got six, six, six on that right there. That is the barcode for the Mark of the Beast. It's already in there. Two lines running together three times at least. Okay? I'm thankful that that one had the right barcode on. Because there's there's about three, at least three different barcodes, but they all have 666, and that one I know. I know that code. I know that code. Oh, God, it's exciting. It's exciting. Kingdom of the beast turns to darkness. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes back at the end. Brighter than the noonday sun. And destroys the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. But all of this is going to happen. So the best thing we can do is to prepare to get born again, to live for the Lord, live holy. What an honor, what a privilege it is to have the truth that we have and the experience that we have. This is going to happen. Amen. Let's stand. Father God, I thank you tonight for your awesome word. I thank you for your people. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We repent tonight, Lord, of any sin that's in our lives. That if you were to come back tonight, would cause us to miss the rapture of the church. I look for you tonight. don't come tonight I look for you tomorrow every day I look for you Lord to physically come to physically come even so come Lord Jesus everybody said amen and amen in Jesus name don't wait don't play Prepare to meet your God in Jesus' mighty name. Church, lift your hands. There are people who are praying here right now that we need to give them time to get right with their God. This scripture says, prepare to meet thy God. All through this house tonight, God's talked to you. His conviction has come upon you. He loves you and He died for you. He will forgive you if you ask Him, He will fill you with His Spirit. He will give you the power to live for Him, to overcome. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. In Jesus' name, my God, let not one be lost. Let not one be left. me with your blood tonight, Lord. Wash me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to just say one last thing before you leave. I have not preached this tonight with the spirit of terrorism. I have not preached this to terrorize you. So that you go running out of here full of terror. I preach this to you under the anointing of a loving God. You should not leave this house tonight terrorized by the truth. You should walk out of here praising the name of the Lord your God because you know Him and because. there are people that you know you can reach and bring them into the kingdom of God and that you are the answer. Amen? God is good. He's good all the time. I love you. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.